0: Welcome to UK Rail Journeys Series 1. In this series I travel to North West Wales with the Steam Dreams Rail Company on their Welsh Dragon tour. In episode 3 we continue our journey westwards and cross the Greater London boundary on our way to Reading. We now reach Hanwell, seven and a half miles from Paddington. The line here opened on the 4th of June 1838 and again the station wasn't ready until the beginning of December. The station was renamed Hanwell and Elthorne on the 1st of April 1896 and reverted to Hanwell on the 6th of May 1974. The station itself is a Grade 2 listed building. The trains using this station are all run by TfL Rail. 460,000 passengers use the station in the 2019-20 year. Nearly immediately after passing through the station, we cross the Grade 1 listed Warncliffe Viaduct, built in 1836-37. It's brick built and carries the Great Western Mainline Railway across the Brent Valley at an elevation of 66 feet. The Viaduct was the first major structural design by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, the first building contract to be let on the GWR project and the first major engineering work to be completed. It was also the first railway viaduct to be built with hollow piers, a feature much appreciated by the colony of bats that has since taken up residence. The coat of arms of Lord Warncliffe can be found on the south side of the viaduct. He was the one who steered the bill that allowed the Great Western Railway to be built through Parliament. The Viaduct is also famous because it carried the first commercial electric telegraph from early 1839. This was modified in January 1843, and telegraph poles carrying wires were seen for the first time. Nearly two miles further on, we pass the old Southall Maintenance Depot. Today, part of the site is used by West Coast Railways and is home to both our carriages, making up the train, and Mayflower. Southall Railway Station, nine miles from Paddington, opened on the 1st of May, 1839. The station has bilingual station signage owing to a large Punjabi community in the local area. It's one of the few stations in England that has bilingual signage, the others being Wall's End, which has Latin, Hereford has Welsh, Morton-in-the-Marsh has Japanese, St Pancras International, Ebb's Fleet International and Ashford International all have French. In 2019, the station was used by nearly three and a half million passengers. We now pass over the Grand Union Canal on our way to the next station, two miles further down the line at Hayes and Harlington. The station has long operated as a minor stop on the Great Western Main Line and is at the start of a spur to Heathrow Airport. The station, managed by TFL Rail, was used by 4.4 million passengers in 2019-20. Next comes West Drayton Station, nearly 14 miles from Paddington. The original station opened on the 4th of June 1838 and was moved to this site in August 1884. It was used by 2.38 million passengers in the 2019-20 rail year. As we travel west on our journey, we pass over the River Cone, a tributary of the River Thames and over the Greater London boundary. On our approach to Iver in Buckinghamshire, we pass over the M25, London's orbital car park. Nearly 15 miles from Paddington, Ivor station opened on the 1st of December 1924 and was used by 232,000 passengers in the 2019-20 year. Have you ever wondered what it takes to put together a trip like this one? I'm sure the booking hotels, advertising the trip, selling the tickets and tours at our destination are relatively standard. But our tours by steam train? What else is needed? I suppose, ideally, we should be able to travel by train between our start and end points. Otherwise we'll need coaches from the end of the line to our destination. Now we're lucky in Britain, the competition between the railway companies in the 19th century resulted in lots of interconnecting routes, and so it's possible for trains to travel to and from virtually anywhere, assuming, of course, that the route wasn't axed by the good Dr Beeching. Steam Dreams has had to organise a whole lot of things so we can sit here in comfort, travelling through the countryside on our steam train they've had to find a steam engine, one that's certified for mainline use. Indeed, there's often a need for two engines because of the restrictions on trains going backwards. And that's why you frequently see a diesel locomotive at the back of a train being hauled by a steam locomotive. Now, you can't use just any old steam engine because the engine has to be gauged for the route that we're taking. This gauging determines the compatibility between the train and the infrastructure around it. It makes sure that there's sufficient space around our moving train for us to travel safely. And therefore there are frequently restrictions on the routes that steam engines can use, with some engines unable to use the same routes as other ones. We heard in the last episode about the work that has to be carried out to prepare our engine in the depot. That work doesn't end when the train leaves the depot, because steam engines need regular feeding. Feeding with water and less frequently coal. And that's why we have water stops. You may notice that many of the water stops are in out of the way passing loops. And that's because railway companies don't want to have trains blocking their platforms for 20 or 30 minutes whilst they're being watered. This means that the water often has to be brought to the passing loop in a tanker. The other food is coal, but fortunately the engine usually carries enough coal to get to a point in the journey where there's a service stop of some hours. At that service stop, the coal is normally transferred from a lorry into the tender of our engine. We then need some carriages that are both up to the standard required for use on the main line and have braking and heating systems that will work with our steam engine. On this journey, our vintage carriages are provided by West Coast Railways, who have their main maintenance depot in Carmforth in Lancashire. And then there's food, this time for you and me. The team are serving over 200 freshly cooked meals at a time and to do this, there's a mobile kitchen, the kitchen car. Kitchen cars are extremely rare, particularly ones that can be used on the main line. We're going to need lots of people to cook and serve the 200 plus meals and all the time they're doing that the train's travelling, it's swaying, it's lurching over points, making the job for the Steam Dreams team of chefs, kitchen porters and waiting staff harder. We need drivers with knowledge of the route we're travelling, firemen with strong arms to shovel coal, guards who have the ultimate responsibility for our safety on the train and a technical team to make running repairs to the vintage engines and carriages if needed. These are all professional rail staff and they're provided by our train operating company, West Coast Railways. There are then the onboard hosts who keep us all updated about the journey. And they also deal with any questions we want answered. And there's a housekeeper to ensure that the toilets are clean and supplied with tissue, towels, and soap. We have the Steam Dreams train manager and his team of high-vis tired volunteer stewards who are responsible for your safety when getting on and off the train. And then we need a path. The path is calculated by Network Rail and ensures that our extra service can operate without causing disruption to the standard train schedule. It gives detailed timings for our route so that the signalers can set the correct signals and points for us. The path takes into account the fact that we're slower than modern express trains, that we need to stop for water and where we can wait in a passing loop for faster trains to pass us. I'm sure there are many other complications that I've not thought about, but that's a start. Another mile and a half, and we're passing through Langley Station, which didn't open until 1845. The current station building dates from 1878, and we can see the former Langley oil terminal adjacent to the station. The station is served by TFL Rail Services, and it's used by 908,000 passengers in 2019-20. A planned Western Rail approach to Heathrow which would provide a direct service to the airport from Reading and Slough. The proposal is to leave the Great Western Main Line just east of Langley, connecting by tunnel to the existing platform at Heathrow's Terminal 5 station. Slough Railway Station is halfway between Paddington and Reading at 18 miles 36 chains from Paddington Station. The Great Western Railway runs services to Paddington, Reading, Oxford and Digcote Parkway and TFL Rail runs local services to the stations between Paddington and Reading. It is also the junction for the two-car shuttle to Windsor and Eton Central. When the first section of the Great Western Railway between Paddington and Maidenhead opened in June 1838, trains stopped at Slough, although there was no actual station. Tickets were sold at the Crown Inn, because the Act which authorised the construction of the railway contained a clause forbidding the construction of a station within three miles of Eton College, without the permission of the provost and fellows. However, it didn't explicitly prevent trains from stopping for passengers. The relevant clauses were repealed and the first proper station at Slough opened on the 1st of June 1840. This led to Queen Victoria making her first railway journey from Slough to Bishop's Bridge, the original Paddington station, in 1842. Originally, the headmaster of Eton College had resisted efforts for a station closer to the college than Slough. This resulted in Slough station becoming, for a time, the Royal station and therefore being much bigger and grander than the other stations in the area. In the statistics for 2017-18, the station was used by 5.544 million passengers, which made it the 88th busiest railway station in Great Britain. An additional 1.59 million passengers used the Short Branch to Windsor and Eton Central. now pass through Burnham station used by TfL for stopping services in 2019 the station was used by 1.41 million passengers the station first opened on the 1st of July 1899 when it was named Burnham Beaches it was closed for the duration on the 2nd of April 1917 during the first world war it reopened on the 3rd of March 1919 Next we pass through Taplow, again used by TFL Rail Stopping Services between Reading and Paddington. The first station opened on the 4th of June 1838 as Maidenhead. The station was the terminus of the Great Western Railway for just over a year until the opening of the Maidenhead Railway Bridge and the line to Twyford on the 1st of July 1839. The station, constructed of wood, was renamed Maidenhead and Taplow in August 1854. When Maidenhead station opened one and a half miles to the west on the 1st of November 1871, the station was renamed Taplow. It closed on the 1st of September 1872, when the current station opened a quarter of a mile to the east. The current station largely dates from the quadrupling of the line with dual-gauge mainline tracks. It is unusually large and grand, despite the fact that it only serves a relatively small number of passengers during the day. This is partly because several major Great Western Railway shareholders lived nearby and used the station. During World War II, Taplow Station had an important role as tanks were stored at the dump, now at the site of the Slough Trading Estate. The concrete and steel reinforced road that took the tanks can still be found in the station's south car park. We now pass over one of Brunel's masterpieces, the Maidenhead Bridge. It was completed in 1838 but not brought into use until the 1st of July 1839. The bridge carries the railway across the river on a deck supported by a pair of elliptical brick arches, which, at the time of their construction, were the widest and flattest brick arches in the world. Each arch has a span of 128 feet, combined with a rise of only 24 feet. The flatness of the arches is necessary to avoid creating a raised hump on the deck of the bridge, which would have gone against Brunel's practice of maximizing operational economy by building lines with flat or very gentle gradients, less than 0.1%. This policy had the benefit of reducing the running costs of trains. There was considerable disquiet about the innovative low-rise arches, as it was alleged that they lacked stability. A wooden framework was left in place over the winter of 1838. It has been claimed that as the bridge near completion, the board of the Great Western Railway had doubts that the arches would be able to stay up under the weight of passing trains, and so issued an order to Brunel instructing him to leave the wooden framework used to construct the arches in place. In response, Brunel lowered this framework slightly so that it provided no structural effect, but gave the appearance of being in place and supporting the bridge. In later storms, the woodwork was washed away during heavy flooding, but the bridge remained standing as it does to this day. Brunel's design was vindicated. The Maidenhead Bridge features in the picture Rain, Steam and Speed, the Great Western Railway, painted by Turner during 1844. The Thames towpath passes directly under the right-hand arch, if you're facing upstream, which is known as the Sounding Arch because of its spectacular echo. The Maidenhead Railway Bridge was upgraded to a Grade 1 listed structure in July 2012. We now reach Maidenhead Station, which opened on the 1st of November, 1871. It's served by services provided by Great Western Railway and TfL Rail. The Marlow branch line also runs from the station. In 2019-20, the station was used by 4,675,000 passengers. miles further west, we pass through Twyford Station. We're now just over 31 miles from Paddington. The first Twyford Station opened on the 1st of July 1839 and was the terminus of the GWR until the 30th of March 1840, whilst the sonning cutting was being completed. There was a timber building and the platform served trains running in either direction. There were nine each weekday. It was a temporary engine shed moved from Maidenhead, and when Reading opened, the shed was removed. In 1846, the buildings were replaced in brick and stone to a standard design with an all-round canopy, and the platforms were altered to serve the running lines. The construction of the Henley Branch Line in 1857 led to the extension of the up platform over one and a half million passengers use the station in the 2019-20 year. And the station has also been used in the television series Midsummer Murders. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio. I thank the passengers and the teams from Steam Dreams and West Coast Railways for making this podcast possible. Join me in a couple of weeks for the next episode. And thank
1: you very much for listening.